4: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we uh, move into part two of our weekly roundtable known as Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of uh, political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Hi, Paul. Welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. And uh, joining us uh, for today's edition, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, welcome back. Thanks for being here this week. Thanks. Um, Good to be here. Just as we were wrapping up uh, the uh, first half of armchair politics, we were talking about the uh, case involving the Genesee County GOP chair and member of the Davison uh, Community School Board uh, Matthew Smith who is uh, facing a recall election now it looks like if if the signatures are certified they, they say they have more than enough, and they've been doing the vetting. So um, it it's likely they'll be moving on to an actual recall election. We were talking about the uh, likelihood of of him being defeated, and it seems to there seems to be a bit of a consensus that uh, that the recall election in his case will be successful. And Bobby, just before the break, you were talking about. Uh, uh, comparing the the two recalls, both of which you worked on, uh the one of Paul Scott a few years ago and this uh recent one with Matthew Smith.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what do we think about uh Matt the two common um themes were lying by the elected official. Uh, in Matthew Smith's case when he stood outside um the courtroom or wherever he appeared and uh gave his version of what the judge had ordered and gave his version of the um of the decision and the sentencing, it was completely a lie. Uh, He said he wasn't convicted, and the very first thing out of the judge's mouth is, you were convicted by your own admission of guilt. Um, He downplayed any any culpability that he had for uh, threatening the woman and killing her dogs, uh, threatening to kill her dogs, and the judge had already said that his credibility was definitely uh, tarnished. And so I think what happened in that case is a lot of people the truth and saw that he had not been in the least bit brought down or even uh, had stopped lying and if you look at all of the police reports and I have copies of them he lied from the first all the way through and to the point of filing a false police report and the judge even said I don't understand why you were not prosecuted for that because that's clearly against the law I think what yep. happened is the public Go got outraged and said no more lying, and that's what brought out the thousands of signatures that we got in the last few days.
5: Okay, uh, you know, now you cannot condemn the whole, you cannot condemn the Republican Party for the actions of these individuals. i The party is completely, no, I'm not saying you are, please. Uh, but I'm just saying in general, for those people who are listening to the radio program, I would hope that they would look at this carefully. These uh, individuals, they have their own reasons for doing what they did. not It was not the Republican Party's reason, and I stand as evidence of that, as part of that evidence. That I think you're absolutely did, right. They have to accept responsibility for their own actions.
1: That's right. I think you're absolutely right, Henry, and if you saw... The people who did sign our petition, and how many of them are strong Republicans, and and that's what I said when we were putting together our statement. The people who signed the petition and people who worked on this on this recall campaign reflect the nonpartisan nature of the school board. The school board is nonpartisan, and the people who came forth to call him to account are also nonpartisan.
2: You know, I, I see that Smith is also on the uh, ELGA Board of Directors just re- elected recently. I wonder if this will have any effect upon that position. Anybody? Well, somebody,
1: who, somebody wrote um, and asked the ELGA um, leadership to remove him from the board, and they say that, that they can't do it, that it's up to the board to do it.
2: Oh, no.
4: Well, in other uh, election-related news, the state's new political redistricting has left Genesee County voters with the same congressman they had before. But there's a good chance they will have a new state representative or state senator after Election Day. New boundary lines for state, house, and Senate districts. And the pending departure of some legislators because of term limits means that there's a strong chance many voters will be hearing from politicians they aren't yet familiar with as campaigns wrap up inside new boundary lines in Congress. All county voters are still in the district represented by U.S. Representative Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township, despite drastic changes to the overall look of his district which now includes the cities of Flint, Midland, Saginaw, and Bay City. Although voters in this region have leaned more Republican in recent cycles, the district still trends democratic overall, and Kildee has announced he will run in the Reform District. Um, and, and also I might point out that uh, Bill Schuette uh, just right. recently announced he will not run for that. I wasn't even sure. I, I didn't know he'd been asked. Uh, <laughs> I I'd heard the
2: rumor, in fact, the, 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 that he seemed to be, for a brief time, the, the biggest threat to Kildee if he did choose to run. But, and the fact that he's not running uh, probably seems to me make it much a, a safer district for Kildee, I would guess.
4: Well, uh, and I wonder if, if Schutte has something else in mind, uh, uh, perhaps running <clears throat> for governor. But seems like we would have heard by now. But in the state Senate, not only... Uh, uh, have new district boundary lines potentially changed voters' representatives? But term limits mean two incumbents with constituents in the county can't seek re-election. A 1992 ballot initiative limited the terms of Michigan state senators to eight years or two four-year terms, meaning neither Senate Minority Leader Jim Ananick, a Democrat from Flint, nor Ken Horn, a Republican from Frankenmuth, can run for re-election. How do term limits affect the impact of new district lines?
2: Well, it means that here in Genesee County we've got John Cherry and Cynthia Neely who are in the same district for the State House, and it means that potentially one of them could move up and take a shot at the State Senate. It could. Does the new district uh, impact on that? I haven't really looked at the lines. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Bobby, I missed the last part of your Oh, I was
1: wondering if, if, the, if the composition of the voters in the new district would support either one of them more than the other.
5: Hmm.
1: Yeah, or would
2: there I, be somebody else that would come out? I don't know. I, I, I certainly heard rumors that John Cherry was giving serious thought to it, but that's all I've heard, not from him, but from other people. But, so I don't know.
5: Hey, uh, Tom, how did you draw the connection between... Um... Term limits and gerrymandering.
4: <clears throat> oh, I just, I, I, I just wondered if, um, if they, if they were two political remedies solving the same problem, which is getting new people in office.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, and the proposal that Neely or uh, Cherry would run are not new people, mm-hmm. but it yeah. certainly opens up the possibility of new people. And
5: guys, you know, and I've said this before, it's not the first time i said, and I think that you would all agree with it. No matter how the um, the, dr- the maps are drawn and who are the winners and uh, losers, we will learn to live with that. We will forget that in 60 days
2: or more. Because
5: <laughs> there's nothing you can do but that's the process
2: of government. Well, yeah. You- if you look at the maps, the uh, the the new state house district is pretty much the city of Flint, which is probably more amenable to Neely, and the state senate district covers Flint and again a good deal of outlying terrain. I think in the northern and northwestern part of the county, uh, uh, north- and that's definitely
4: cherry territory.
2: Yeah, yeah,
5: but I, but I think what most people are concerned about, who are on Kildee's side, is that uh, they. They pulled in too many of the people in the outlying districts that are generally uh, Republicans or independents. You know,
1: one of the things that occurred to me, uh, Henry, and I haven't really looked at it that closely, but, you know, um, Kildy has a very, very, very strong support in the Native American population. And Midland, um, uh, you've got a casino up there. Now, I'm not sure that it's included in the district. I haven't looked at the map. But when um, we were talking to Kildee some years ago, I did some research on his support, and he has a very strong support, as did his uncle. And I once said to him, you know, if you ran for state office, you probably would have a good chance of winning because of your support in the Native American communities.
5: And because your uncle left a great legacy. And, and and Republicans didn't run readily against uh, Dan, yeah. uh, Dale Dale Kempfey.
1: Right, yeah. but Dan is on the subcommittee that oversees a lot of the um, of the uh, funding that goes into the Native American communities for housing and medical care and things like that.
5: Dan, yeah, and, Dan, Dan and Dale both had the ear of General Motors Corporation
4: because I was yeah. on the
1: board and I
5: knew
4: where they were well, you know how I'm always and so did the
5: unions the union supported them too yes, and
4: the union you know how I'm always talking about sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference between the things I pick out to be the x files and the regular headlines, and the, this next piece kind of kind of falls into that category. The Michigan House won't be taking votes this week due to a COVID-19 surge among members and staff House Speaker (laughs) Jason Wentworth announced Monday. In a statement, Wentworth said several lawmakers and House staff are either awaiting test results, need to be tested due to exposure, or have tested positive themselves. Unfortunately, the same COVID wave that is spiking across the country is now reaching a high point in Michigan, he said. As a result, the House will technically be in session this week, but no voting will take place. Votes that were originally scheduled for this week will be shifted into next week, Wentworth said. Noting uh, there were no time-sensitive votes on the docket that would be negatively impacted by the delay. Constituent communications and other state services will not be interrupted. Wentworth said, and committee chairs are still allowed to hold meetings in person this week at their discretion. Could they vote if they were required to wear masks?
5: Uh, No, I don't (laughs) understand the objection there either. And they, we they both digitally, you know, you just press a button and it shows up on the screen. And and I don't understand why they can't continue with the process. Technology, we're downplaying the, uh, the advantages that technology does us, you know, when the bank uses it, it's gotta be good. It's gotta be reliable. And, but politics somehow interferes so badly with using technology uh...
2: to our advantage we've learned a lot from zoom meetings in the last two years and how to use them
4: well i just i i just can't help seeing the irony you know in the in the republican controlled legislature who's been you know fighting against the the governor's uh... authority to mandate masks and and quarantines and vaccines and so on and, and this, this whole fight that's, that's gone on really nationwide over uh, mask use and, and vaccinations. And then Omicron surges in Michigan, and they cancel the votes. Yeah. I, it just <laughs> struck me as completely ironic.
2: And also, okay. isn't, isn't there an issue with other governmental bodies that are now required to meet in person? whereas for the last year or two they've been able to meet virtually but i think there's a requirement that city councils and school boards and others are now required to meet in person the, the, there, the there's a move the changing. require
4: well to, <clears throat> just to rephrase that the, the requirement to meet in person was always there but it was um suspended by waiver right during right. the pandemic <clears throat> And the waivers um, and executive orders and so on have uh, expired.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: And the ability yeah, to, to reinstate them.
2: complained about that. So for the same reason.
4: <laughs> and and the, uh, the authority to reinstate them has been blocked so it it just it just struck me as as kind of ironic anyway, we have to take a uh, a short break, but we'll be back and talk some more about things in Lansing and Washington in the next segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, Bobby Clayton Walton. And uh, if you're listening to us on 92.1 F M W F O V R our voices Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as
3: well.
1: Hello, darling. This is O'Vira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
2: always you, you <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you
4: tune in monday through friday from nine to twelve right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. sumner
2: yo speaking oh dear honey our car warranty is expiring again
3: so soon it just expired last week Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
4: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, Bobby Clayton Walton. And... Um, Michigan is taking in billions more in state revenue than previously expected, adding to the historic amount of money currently at the government's disposal, according to projections from the state's top fiscal experts. The state's current fiscal year uh, general and school aid funds are projected to clock in at $28.53 billion dollars, uh, $1.72 billion more than previous estimates and in the next fiscal year the total estimate comes to $29.14 billion, up $1.4 billion from past projections. That's not counting the billions more in federal COVID-19 aid and infrastructure funding available to the state. It's a far cry from predictions at the outset of the pandemic where experts feared the worst as wide swaths of the economy shut down. On Friday, State Budget Director Chris Harkins called the current trends astounding, but cautioned the revenue boost should be seen as a one-time opportunity, not an ongoing guarantee. Aren't there one-time fixes that have long-term impact, and should they be prioritized for the spending of this money as opposed to uh, political motivations?
2: Probably, you know, things like infrastructure, of course, there's other things dealing with that now too, but those have clearly long term implications.
1: Education. Uh,
4: uh, you... Education. Say again.
1: Education.
5: Yeah. That yeah. has long term implications. Yeah. Uh, Tom, did you say that the education uh, fund was $28 billion?
4: Uh, I'm not sure if that's what it's indicating. It, it says uh, the, state's that can't current, be. The, the state's current fiscal year general and school aid funds are... Oh, prepared. okay. So, oh, yeah. so okay. the two yeah. things okay. combined, Henry. See, I, the, the, the school aid funds should really be around $16
5: billion. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> but you
2: but when you get $28 billion. But the federal so government, that's that about half the overall budget, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, but, the, well, the two of them combined. Well,
5: I, I think that it's less than that. It's between three-fifths, maybe. The,
4: the question I'm, yeah. I'm trying to raise is, um, you know, if we, if, if we invest money in education— in two years, three years, we'll need that money again. If we build a bridge, we're not going to need to rebuild that bridge in two years or three years. And but I we've already got money
1: coming in from the other fund.
4: What but I'm the, saying the is, problem. as we as we look at this one-term money, yes. do we want to fix? Do we want to try to fix all the problems we have that we know need fixing? Or do we want to prioritize the things that will have the longest-term effect or get the biggest benefit We want to prioritize the them. Buck. That just makes good sense. Prioritize
2: them. But, I'm not, some
4: things but making good sense isn't always what we've seen our <laughs> legislators <laughs> <That's right>. do. <laughs> these are, but people these suffer are, when you don't make good sense.
2: Everybody then, wants to bring home the projects of their home district, too. So I, I remember.
5: On. Now, you guys remember the... Um, Uh, the schools of work funds that President Clinton signed into law in 1995, he said that $500 billion was uh, granted to schools to teach kids uh, skills when they don't plan to go to college. Okay. Now, many school districts created programs and did that. Some did otherwise. They hired teachers. This was a one-time grad guy. they hired teachers. And guess what? When the money ran out and the invoice came in, they had no money to pay for, to keep the teachers on. They created a, a boondoggle, particularly for Flint. We went through the same thing at Kyle. Um, and I remember advising the board, and there were others too who were business people, do not Use the money for hiring teachers. But that's something you won't want to say out loud because teachers would take that as negative. And so with the
4: union. Well, and, and people who believe it. in the importance of investing in education are going to take that negatively. But, you know, do we want to fall into those same traps? Do we want to use one-time money? Um, oh, yeah. You know, that's that's my concern, Henry, is and I've seen it happen in in other disciplines. You know, there's there's grant money that gets used and, you know, all kinds of cool programs get started. And three years later, they're dropped because the funding went away and nobody did anything to to come up with uh, ongoing funding. Yeah, that's the biggest problem with the grant funding. But if you're talking about this, I'm going through my mind thinking,
1: what would I do if that money was mine and I had the opportunity to invest it? I would look at what would bring the longest long-term economic impact to bring more business and more economy and grow yes. the economy in our state because then you're attracting more people and you are providing a better tax base so that people can fund education and those other programs ongoing. And I think the first one, we just talked about the water issue in Flint. The first one would be to look at, like Benton Harbor and all of the other places that have water issues that are maybe not being resolved with the money that's currently available. If you have a good water system and it's going to last for a while, that has an economic impact.
4: Yeah, that's that's my point, and and it's it's tempting, it's sentimental to look at areas like education, uh, public health and safety. Um, you know, one of those things that you know people want to do when they have a few extra dollars is get a helicopter or hire right. some more yeah. or hire some more police officers, <laughs> and then the money's gone and the gas runs out, and then you've got a parked helicopter, and it's right. you know I. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm just hoping that we could send along a little uh, a, a message to the people that are going to decide how this money, money gets spent that we look at those things that will have the biggest and longest-reaching bang for the buck if it's one-time money. That's an important phrase in that story. Is but, when, you know, yeah. the other, if I could just add this.
5: Yeah, go ahead. The thing, in order to make that happen, We have to do the impossible. We have to bring Democrats and Republicans to the table. And let's personally think through this. Oh, yes. So because if you are doing something differently, you're failing the same way that others have failed. And it will always fail. If you don't bring the the bright
1: people to the table, it will fail. Well, you know, Henry, I mean, that goes back to your you're talking about the demise of the Republican Party in Genesee County. I am sharing with you the, the belief and the thought that the only way we have really good government is when you have strong two parties that are able to sit down and actually negotiate and compare solutions to our common problems. Otherwise, what you get is nothing more than personalities and name calling and war, and trying to bring your opponent down so that you can have all the spoils. That's stupid. Yeah.
5: but it I seems, closed
4: my case. Yeah, it seems it seems like the 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 right thing to do would be to sit Republicans and Democrats, uh, sit the leaders down, and look at the entire list of the things that Democrats want and the things that Republicans want, and then take the headings off. And say yeah, and, and which I think of right. I
2: think those things that stimulate economic growth and,
4: which and bring of more these
2: people to the state are going to make a bigger difference. I mean, we've lost one seat in Congress already. Again, with this census, we've lost one in every decade for almost the last half century because of a loss of population or a lack of growth.
4: What are the things that we can make a one-time investment <clears throat> in that will last forever? Or as close to forever as we're likely to see?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
4: Whether it's roads uh, or bridges uh, water, or clean water. Clean water systems
1: throughout the state. Water is yeah. one of the most important things. It, it, it supports human life. It supports industry. It supports... You know, the development of your communities. Um, if we don't have clean water and accessible water, we're going to be in trouble. And if it's too expensive for people to afford, if they don't want to live here. True.
4: And that yeah. is true.
1: And uh, so you can, I think, I remember I was asked years ago, what's Flood's biggest problem? And I said, a declining tax base. Now, of course, that doesn't sound like an interesting subject, like if you want to talk about other things, but it is a declining tax base. What is the problem in Michigan? A declining tax base. We don't have the money to do what we need to do to keep our good government and to
2: keep our good schools and to keep our good economy going. And when you have a declining tax base and population, you face the cost, the legacy cost issue. In Flint, absolutely, we got the legacy cost of a city of two hundred thousand with a base of eighty thousand now. That puts a huge pressure on the city budget. To try and do anything else but take care of your legacy costs.
4: And all, and the, all the more reason to look at this one-time money as not an op- opportunity to fix problems short-term, but to make sure that the investments are long-lasting. Right. And that they're truly investments.
5: But some people well, yeah. can weave themselves around
4: that argument
5: by saying, well, we want immediate results. We don't want to wait for the future. And somehow you've got to overcome that kind of rationale in our population. Like the Japanese did back in 1945 to 50 when they said that they would teach the Americans a lesson. They would take over all of that automobile industry and their technologies and stuff. And guess what, guys? By 1970, they pretty much had it.
4: Well, yeah, that's because they took all our scrap metal and, yeah. and then shipped it back to us. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: and they learned how to do without.
2: Yeah, they had all new plants. They did,
5: and they lived only on eighty percent of the land. The land that was uh, that was livable and productive was the, yeah. the land down by the seashore.
1: Yeah, guys, which, those which, were just people. Yes, yeah. I went to Japan once for about, a, I don't know, a week or so, and it's amazing what they learned to do on very small pieces of land. Yes. We could learn something. Oh, yeah. I think the fact that we have such massive resources and massive land mass has probably been one of our, down, mm-hmm. our downtrodden because we don't learn how to manage things well because we just reach out and take in more.
5: Yeah, we're
1: overconfident. The, the irony
5: is, though, Here's the irony. Resources are declining and populations are rising. That is a catastrophe in the making all by itself.
1: Yep, because we don't need to learn how to innovate if we can just reach out and take more. And when you do that, then you use up what you've got and you don't have anything left.
5: Yeah.
4: Well, as President Joe Biden approaches his one-year mark in office, he is hard-pressed to find any key political signals pointing in his party's direction. And now a new analysis of polling from Gallup highlights how rapidly the Democrats' standing with the public has deteriorated since the start of Biden's term. Gallup found in their polls... In the first quarter of 2021, an average 49% of Americans identified with or leaned toward the Democratic Party compared to 40% for the Republican Party. That represented the largest lead Democrats held on this metric since the fourth quarter of 2012. But by the fourth quarter of 2021, the Democrats' average advantage had completely vanished. of those surveyed identified with or leaned toward the GOP compared to 42% for the Democrats, a net swing of 14 points. According to Gallup, a shift this dramatic is not the norm. In fact, the Republicans' five-point edge in party preference is the largest they have established over Democrats since 1995, right after the GOP took control of the House for the first time in four decades. These results should be taken with a grain of salt. Other public pollsters have not found as massive of a swing in party preference as Gallup has. What's more, changes of this magnitude, especially around political events that are more negative for one party over the other, such as January 6th in the first quarter of the year and the Democrats' losses in off-year elections in November in the last quarter, may be a sign of differences in the number of partisans who choose to participate in polls rather than of real shifts in attitudes. Do you expect any significant differences in the outcome of the approaching midterm election than previous midterms?
2: No. Historically, I think the party in the White House loses about 30 seats in the House, and that's true for the last half century. And I suspect it's going to be something in that ballpark this time. I'm afraid
1: we don't see any. Tra- I'm, I'm afraid to predict at this point. But when you talk about what was happening uh, in the polls, I I see the law jam in the in the Senate as being the driver of this whole thing.
5: Hmm. Well, you know, I I see something different. Uh, I think, and even this, you have to ask Democrats that give you the truth what they think I think that most people are afraid that Democrats will make uh, Washington DC a state and give two senators to and a representative and they see them as proposing to bring in um, uh, one of the small island countries Puerto Rico Rico? yeah as a state and then drive the country into a one-party system I think that most people are afraid of that, and that's so close to reality, and uh, I think that and Democrats are helping to, to prevail on the issue so that that does not Washington D.C. does not become a state, and Puerto Rico does not come into the union.:, cause of course,
2: even if they do that, and that's, that's a big if that, yeah. would, that would give them. <clears throat> A uh, a four seat majority as things stand yeah. now, yeah. Assuming they don't lose any other seats in 2022,
5: but but it may it possible. may likely to stay that way <clears throat> because well what you're describing here is
2: is
1: it's a supposition in the first place and it's and it's something that you describe as a fear of, yes, of a fear. the Republican Party yeah and that's probably well founded that's like the fear that you know we're going to expand the Supreme Court and add on more yes. that, that, Um that. There's, a, there's a lot of fear about people yeah. people taking on more power and, and exercising it against you um, what I see is a a game being played without the American people and their well-being being considered and they're playing on this I gotta have it now uh, need which you talked about earlier you know I want it now I want my schools now I want my teachers now I want my police force now I'm not worried about the infrastructure and how we bring in more, more yes. businesses in, in a bigger economy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so just what you're talking about is fear of now, and yet people have got to look at the long range, and they don't. Yes.
4: yes. Yeah, but that's, that's what we
5: all fear. But we need to begin discussing that.
4: And, and fundamentally, that's what leadership is all about. True. It's easy yeah. to do what people are asking you to do. <clears throat>
2: Well, we don't have very good
4: leadership. (laughs) We don't have
1: good leadership. Right now, there are very few people that are in leadership that I would say are good leaders. There are some, but not all. And I have to tell you, the bad leaders tend to be coming from the Republican Party. And I am not against the Republican Party. I'm against the people that are occupying those seats.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but I, but yeah. I, and and again, it's um and we mentioned him sort of parenthetically at the beginning of the show. Um, I I think Peter Meyer is yeah. uh, a tremendous example of a Republican.
2: But look at how he's
4: he beat up by his own party.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. he is. He is, and I have seen some in this Davidson fiasco against Matt Smith. I have seen some local people. We're talking about bringing in candidates to run against him, and some of them are strong Republicans, and we are not opposed to them. If they are good leaders and good politicians and people who believe in good government, I will support them.
4: Well, well let's that. see. I've got time to get one more in before we go to break. One current Trump advisor said the former president was still pretty dejected up until a few months ago when his whole demeanor started changing. The worse things became for Biden. <laughs> Only then, the adviser said, did Trump begin seriously thinking about 2024 and what he needs to do this year so that he's in a solid position for another campaign. Because of the changes to his post-presidential operation over the last year, many Republicans now view Trump as a crucial component to their midterm strategy an exceedingly popular figure with the party's base who can help drive turnout in November and launch certain candidates to front runner status with his endorsement in crowded primaries however There is also a contingent of Republican figures who wish Trump would disappear into retirement, concerned (laughs) that his outsized influence and meddling in primaries threatens both democracy and the GOP's midterm chances. Will the upcoming midterm election outcome determine whether or not former President Donald Trump will run in 2024?
2: Well, I think it will a big factor. I think if you see his endorsed people winning he'll be tempted to but if 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 he has a poor batting average it's going the other way uh, going, you're, going, yeah. going, you're going the other direction too
1: <clears throat> well you know you're asking for him to be rational and i'm not sure he is <laughs> i think he's
5: yep. changed tremendously he's become the person that we he doesn't criticize people he doesn't call them names uh, anymore and that's an improvement <clears throat> and he seems to be consistent with the things that he thinks that has wanted for him small governments, uh, freedom, and, and uh, liberty, stuff like that.
1: Those are just uh, words, Henry. They're just words.
5: Yeah, I know it's words, but they're in the Constitution. <laughs> so well, Trump.
4: We, we have to go so there. <laughs> Donald Trump hasn't had the spotlight that he had a year ago.
2: So yeah, it does seem to be fading somewhat. I mean, he's still having rallies, I know, and all that, but he's he's not getting the same kind of attention.
4: Yeah, but what what about this? People. We we just we just supposed earlier that the midterms will go the way they typically go. Wh- whoever's in the White House, Republican or Democrat, the House will tend to go the other way. So we have Biden, a Democrat, in the White House chances are Republicans are going to do pretty good in House races. But that's, that's a, a pendulum that happens regardless of other factors like Trump endorsing candidates in True. crowded primaries. Um, I, I wouldn't Our be foreign surprised. foreign policy
5: is also yeah. determining whether Trump will do well.
4: That's true. Yeah, okay. that's true. How
5: yeah, that's true. China and Japan and North Korea are uh, swelling their chests and pumping their chest and just uh, just berating Americans <laughs> because they can do it. And I think that people need some that people are looking for some help from someplace. They don't know where. They don't know how things will come out. We are just a couple weeks from full war nearly according to some who are speculating
4: you're talking about in the ukraine
5: yeah and uh people have to be afraid
4: i still haven't gotten used to dropping the the (laughs) it's it's just ukraine Um, yeah yeah i was i I had a piece and and i was going to try and get into that a little bit but we're not going to have time for it unfortunately in fact we have to uh break here and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV, uh, Our Voices Radio 92.1 LPFM in Flint. a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey, House Spectacle Productions, and my friend Paul Hearing. If you're uh, streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with The X-Files right after this.
1: Hey! <laughs> this is The Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're
4: listening to The Tom Sumner Show right now! And now, and
2: now, too, and even now.
5: this is our shot. Now it's up to you.
3: Rachelle Ray.
2: Hi there folks, this is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve
4: from the Nashville office.
1: I'm Gwen Pennyman-Hemp do
4: Start your weekend right. Go to 11, Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program.
1: Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and
2: mother.
3: Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take riding lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How
1: does Ellen Sherman do it all? Right now, she's, she's smart. Stuff. She takes speed. The tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need.
3: And then I collect these paper bags. And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have one.
1: Yes, speed.
3: Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way.
1: Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. And your mother's doctor. And your college roommate's doctor. And your best friend from high school's doctor. And your babysitter.
4: And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner program with our final segment uh, dedicated to the X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that uh, uh, seem hard to believe but are in fact true. A woman in in uh, Zhengzhou, China went viral last week when she posted videos on the Chinese social media platform WeChat about how she unintentionally got stuck at her blind date's house during a very sudden lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, the Just woman. Go ahead, go ahead. This sounds interesting. The woman, identified only by her last name Wang, explained in a social media post that she had recently traveled to uh, Zhengzhou ahead of the Lunar New Year. I'm getting old now. My family introduced me to Ten Matches, which is a dating site. The fifth date wanted to show off his cooking skills and invited me over to his house for dinner. Unfortunately, during the meal, she discovered that her date's community had gone into very sudden and swift quarantine due to a surge of COVID-19 cases. She told local outlets Sunday that she had been stuck at her date's house for four days, according to the BBC. China has a zero COVID-19 policy, meaning that prompt. Lockdowns are routinely imposed in communities when cases of the virus are detected. In late December, the country placed 13 million residents of the northern city of Xi'an in lockdown following a wave of coronavirus cases. In the past week, more than 150 cases have been reported in Zhengzhou. Uh, According to uh, the Global Times newspaper reports, aside from the very rapid lockdown that Wang experienced, the city also tested 12.6 million residents in six hours in an attempt Mm. to curb the spread of the virus. It's unclear if Wang is still stuck on what might be the longest and most awkward first date of her life. (laughs) because she has since removed most of her posts about it from social media. Wang explained in a video online that she removed her posts about her never-ending date because they received too much attention from the media, causing friends and others to reach out to her date. And I think this has definitely affected his life, she said. As for Wang, however, it seems like she may have enjoyed the social media response. Is a sudden lockdown good or bad for budding romance?
2: <laughs> it, it, they may prove wrong or not. <laughs> they, it may,
1: uh,
5: it I may cause... I think at the end of the
1: day, days they would know each other better. <laughs> you know, it could be um,
5: an opportunity to force feed love. You
1: know, <laughs> respect.
2: Yeah. Because well, well, otherwise well, it may not
5: be
1: there. <laughs> It's hard to live with somebody that you're married to. I can't imagine living with somebody you just met. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
4: Well, it just it kind of reminds me of that uh, of that song we hear at Christmas time about maybe uh, it's cold outside. <laughs> That's right.
2: That's right. <laughs> maybe so, there's a lockdown outside. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
5: However, I admire the men and women who live long lives who learn to deal with each other, to love each other, to respect each other, because I've met some, and I've heard some, and I have nothing but admiration for them.
4: Well, I was married for 21, I think 21 years. It (laughs) took me two wives to do it, but... um. (laughs) But don't you just admire those people? You know, honestly, Henry, I really do. it, and I, and I don't know if this uh, sudden lockdown in China is uh, going to result in, <laughs> in a, a long, uh, long-lived companionship, but uh, certainly made for a, a long first date. Um, <laughs> A a bloodied pilot who survived an emergency crash landing was pulled from his plane by police just seconds before a train barreled into the aircraft in California on Sunday. The the dramatic scene at a Metrolink rail crossing in the Pacoima neighborhood of Los Angeles was caught on video by police body cameras. Police said the plane lost power, which caused it to crash on the railroad crossing. The pilot, who uh, has not been publicly identified, was taken to a regional trauma center. Los Angeles County Public Works described the pilot's injuries as minor and said Metrolink service would resume in the area by evening. There were no other reports of injuries. Aren't trains supposed to stop for
2: airplane crossings? (laughs) is that the way it works? Yeah. That's sounds like a scene out of some Hollywood action adventure movie where the train, the, the, the train crashes <laughs> into the plane and the guy escapes. I mean, can't make that stuff up. <laughs> well, change uh, would
5: would stop if they saw it. They they would they would. Uh, yeah, that happens I'm sure. Yeah. Because well, you risk all of your passengers <laughs> if
1: you're on it. Here's a fun train. Well, yeah, I've there's that thing about inertia. Isn't that a yeah. physics law or something? Yes.
4: The yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what kind of law. In I don't know what kind of law was at work where the pilot survived first the crash of the plane, and yeah. then being and then having a
2: train crash into the plane. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like yeah. To say I can, I can see that as kind of the an open of game game or of new James Bond movie, of some kind. <laughs> yeah, you want to go back and read the other
5: portion of the story, the rest of the story. I there's something missing
1: yeah that's that's almost like a miracle really yeah, yeah that, that, that he did survive
4: <laughs> well it, apparently the plane it it i don't know if it ran out of gas or if the power just failed on the plane, but the pilot was uh talented enough to you know crash the plane safely I know that's uh <laughs> kind of an oxymoron, yeah. but um <laughs> But he was able to get down on the ground without getting too banged up, and then he was pulled from the plane, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a train crashes into the plane. (laughs) (laughs) That's just just tempting fate in so many ways.
1: Yeah. I saw a video of it, and it was a small plane. It wasn't a very big plane. But the pilot was smart, though.
5: The only thing that he didn't do, he didn't raise the plane up. Got higher elevation to get over the guy wires at railroad crossing so he could still land on hard ground. Yeah. Uh, there was well, some logic to that.
4: It, well, it saved his life, that's for sure. Apparently. Anyway, here's, here's <laughs> kind of a, a fun one to wrap up with uh, from the UK. A pair of feet sticking out of a rolled up carpet, believed to be a body, turned out to be a mannequin dressed as Prince Charming. The suspicious object spotted on the M11 motorway prompted a call to Cambridgeshire police who were deployed to track down the car. When they found the vehicle, they were told by the driver that he was taking the dummy to a themed birthday party. The force said the driver was given advice to avoid such circumstances again. (laughs) <laughs> why why would someone transport Prince Charming this way? Were there no
2: coaches available? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> not for a body rolled up on a carpet. <laughs> well, they shouldn't have had the feet sticking out. That probably was the
1: problem. Yeah. <laughs>
4: right. <laughs> Needed a bigger rug. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: you need a bigger rug. I started at the bottom and they had the head sticking out. I don't know. I don't know. At least they didn't try to fly it in a plane. It did get hit by a train. Well, that
4: wraps <laughs> up this Planes and Trains and Automobiles uh, edition of uh, The X-Files on Armchair Politics. In fact, uh, that wraps up today's edition of Armchair Politics, and I want to say thanks to uh, Bobby Clayton Walton. It's always fun when you join us. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. I
1: know. I always enjoy it, too, you guys. Yes. good. Uh, to have you here,
2: Bobby. In thank our, you, Bob, And our roundtable <laughs> regulars
4: <laughs> are always uh, such a treat to have uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thanks, guys.
2: Always oh, thank good you. to be here.
4: Yep. I, See you next time. All right. Take care. You bet.
2: Have a Goodbye. good night. Bye-bye.
4: I also want to thank all the people who tuned in. And I want to thank my guest from the first hour this morning from the University of Michigan talking about. Uh, vaccines and and, uh, boosters and so on, uh, Dr. Payal Patel. And uh, there's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope that you will be too. In the meantime, uh, stay warm, stay safe, and uh, good night, everybody.